What's up, horror fans? Anchor Pete here, and I am with my two horror freak friends, Chris, future boy Chris right over there, and down there is Mr. Dr. Zayas G-O-D, Danny. And boy, am I excited because this video has almost been a year in the making. We started this channel around the summertime, and we've been like reviewing movies and talking about horror, and tonight we are going to talk about our top 10 picks for 2020. So one thing I want to put uh, right up front is that these aren't necessarily what we consider to be the best. This is what our personal favorites are, okay? And we came up with three different lists, and we merged them all together into one. Um, we're going to try to avoid spoilers, but um, just be warned that there might be some spoilers. Before we get into the top 10, we're going to talk about a couple of honorable mentions. And first off, I have to mention 1BR, okay? So 1BR... The reason why you guys might recognize that name is because you've probably seen the movie. But besides that, we did a video where we interviewed producer Alok Mishra and also star Naomi Grossman. And that was our first interview that we did as a channel. I think that was a really great interview. So with 1BR, I think I should bring up a topic I want to discuss with you guys. For 1BR, it's written and directed by David Marmer. Now we're going to discuss 13 movies tonight. And out of those 13... 12 of those movies are written and directed by the same person, right? Like each movie, it has the same writer and director. So uh, do you guys think that that is like pretty much a good sign that you're going to like a movie? Do you think that like a movie is better when it is written and directed by the same person? What do you guys think mm. about that? Uh, I mean, for me personally, my favorite director is Quentin Tarantino. So yes, <laughs> uh, you don't get a better example of that in, in modern Hollywood than him. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of examples. I mean, Spielberg very rarely writes his own stuff and he's an amazing director. Uh, I, I think it, it just has to do with uh, the vision. Um, if you're directing from your own work, then nobody is... Uh, interrupting your vision of the material well i think what we see in this i mean hey mike flanagan you know it's 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 the, the the proof is in the pudding but i think why we see that a lot with this with the list that we have and why it's so successful here is that we have a lot of directors that are early in their career if not these are their debut films and i think they're just more comfortable executing their own vision you know, like Danny said, you have guys like Spielberg who, I mean, clearly, you know, executing anyone's vision is uh, is his forte. But really here, I, I think these directors, the talent combined with them being in their comfort zone, really, you know, that writing and directing is really where a lot of the brilliance is on this list. I think it's very specific to the situation, to the individual, but it, it I think more often than not, you get the correct vision, the most successful vision when you have a writer slash director. That's an excellent, excellent point. Yeah, I think for a first time feature, I think David Marmer just knocked it out of the park. You know, I watched 1BR before I watched pretty much every other movie on this list. And I'm really glad that you guys suggested it because I just thought it was a really good example of a horror movie where it, it kind of transcends, you know, it, it's not just 
gross or scares, even though there are a few scares and there's definitely a couple of disturbing scenes. Um, I think that what's so good about the movie is how much it goes into the whole cult aspect. And um, I, I just see the buzz online on Twitter and stuff like that, that this movie's finding its audience and people are really into it. I found 1BR, uh, being that I watched it, I believe it premiered on VOD in April. And I found it, being that I love The Invitation, uh, Karen Kusama's film, uh, where there are, there are similarities and they'd make a terrific double feature. Uh, I watched, 1BR in April, and then over the summer leading into the fall, there were two different documentaries, one that followed the other, HBO and Showtime, on the Nixium cult. So I feel like 1BR actually taught me a little more about cults, and so I went into these documentaries and would have enjoyed them regardless, but it's it's been the year, um, I mean, depending upon how you look at it, it's been four <laughs> years of a lot of cult activity uh but it's it's been uh but again it's weird knowing going into the it actually generated more interest for me uh with nexium knowing that uh a major influence on 1br was nexium and another cult uh which name escapes me so um 1br like you said we, we all enjoyed it uh we're getting up to a point on the list where actually I have not seen the movie. Uh, one of our other honorable mentions is uh, the movie VFW. VFW really has that formula uh, that, I mean, just watching the trailer, this is presented to you almost as the Expendables meets Assault on Precinct 13, just without the, just way, way without the silliness of the Expendables. Uh, this drug addict girl is hiding from her drug dealer and her fellow drug addicts, and she runs across the street to a VFW hall and hides in there. And basically, it becomes all the old guys, all the old vets in this VFW hall versus the uh, almost, I don't want to say superhuman strength, but I mean, the, the superhuman strength that an intense high would give you. So all these drugged out, drug-fueled maniacs versus these old-timers. And you got guys like Stephen Lang, William Sadler, George Went, David Patrick Kelly, who was T-Bird and The Crow, uh, Martin Cove from Cobra Kai. I'll get on it. Get off my back about it. <laughs> and um, again, it's just a really it's, – it's such a midnight movie and so something that we would have caught on like Channel 11, WPIX, at like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a modern day canon film. The only person yeah. missing in this yeah. is Charles Bronson. He's the only one missing. This should come to no surprise uh, to our viewers, but like Chris and I are, we're very high on a guy named John Carpenter. And you can tell that Joe Bagos was just saying, okay, I want to do a John Carpenter movie now, but I don't want to do one of those like eighties John Carpenter's really cool movies. I want to go back to like the gritty low budget Joe Carpenter, uh, John Carpenter of the, the mid seventies and assault. It, it is assault on precinct 13. It's a remake without being called a remake. Uh, and it's, fucking great it's just exactly it's exactly what the poster and what the what the the box on the vhs you know 
bunch of old guys who you know from all of these movies kicking ass in in a single location. Is were they? I, I could have sworn they were like filming a sequel too, right? I, I, they were, I, I saw footage from the sequel yesterday. I think it was called Assault on Capitol Hill. <laughs> No, oh, no, no! You just accidentally sad. put on Olympus has fallen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. There we go. That's my yeah. my mistake. Okay, yeah. Well, speaking of super dark times, that's on Shutter now too. <laughs> Bazinga! <laughs> so, um, you know what? We have another movie that I haven't seen on our uh, honorable mentions list. So, Danny, do you think that you could tell us why you were a fan of Amulet? So. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Amulet is streaming on Hulu. Um, so if you have Hulu, uh, go check it out. Uh, it's made by uh, a woman named Ramallah Garai. This movie is, and I, I don't usually like to use this term, but it is. It is a slow burn horror film. Um, and the opening 25 minutes is slow to a point where I was really tired. And I, and I was almost just like, all right, I, I, I got to turn this movie off. And I was so glad that I stayed with it because it evolves into one of the darkest, most disturbing, and at times one of the most disgusting movies I saw in 2020. Uh, it's about uh, a soldier uh, named Tomas, played by, I'm going to get this guy's name wrong, I'm sorry, Alec uh, Secarano. Um, he uh, basically, he has PTSD. And he's um, a nun helps him move into this house uh, with this uh, woman who's taking care of her sick mother. And basically she says, you don't have to pay rent. You don't have to do anything. Just help with the housework. You're a soldier, you know, you're a man, you know, do the housework, fix some stuff up when they need and you could live in this house. And there's something going on with the mother in the attic. Uh, there's some kind of like, there's like, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's elements of possession horror in this film. At times it feels like you're watching a creature feature and the last, I'd say 30 minutes are some of the most bonkers stuff I've seen in a long time. Uh, really creepy imagery. Uh, it, it goes in really dark places and, uh, I feel like I would probably have had this even higher on my list if I didn't watch it when I was exhausted mm -hmm. after a long Christmas day. Uh, and, and part of why I put this movie on my list is because I really want to rewatch it. And if, I, if, if I'm tempted to want to rewatch a movie, I tend to throw that higher on my list. The movies that are in my top three or four are movies that, I'm going to be rewatching for years to come. So guys, we have finally gotten to our top 10. And for number 10, I got to say, this was actually one of my favorites. It's actually one I saw. Um, and it is Scare Me, which is available on Shutter right now. Chris, uh, you had it really high up on your list. You want to tell us why you were a fan of Scare yeah. Me? I had Scare Me at number two on my personal list. I watched this twice within the first two nights it came out like i watched it and then my girlfriend denise i'm like we have to sit down and watch this movie and it's very she's very specific where her horror you know her horror enjoyment leans and i'm like this is right up your alley we had both been watching season two of the boys we both love Ida cash 
who is the co-lead in this. Uh, she stars along with Josh Rubin, who also wrote and directed this film. Like we spoke earlier, a lot of written by and directed by same people on this list. And basically, two strangers, one's an aspiring author, one is a well-established author. They are in a cabin during a power outage, and they start telling each other scary stories. Director and writer Josh Rubin, again, like I said, who's also the star, has this, I saw him describe this in an interview as a horror anthology that never leaves the campfire. And I'm like, and I did, and I watched the movie twice at that point and did not realize that, oh my God, yes, that is exactly what this is. I have not seen this on a lot of horror lists, which blew my mind this year. I couldn't believe it. And I've even some people, I've even seen some people say, I don't know if it's really horror. And you sit and watch this film and you're like, this is exactly what he said it is. It's a horror anthology that does not leave the campfire. And it makes me laugh out loud at times, especially Aya Cash. She's got some fantastic line in this. She says, tell me something scary, motherfucker. We're burning moonlight. And, you know, when, you know, like he's telling a story about a troll and she's like, that's a very modern name, Devin the Troll. Like she is so just naturally funny. He is a, just a brilliant writer. He's incredibly funny as well. And then at a certain point in the movie, Chris Red from SNL joins the two of them and yeah. somehow just elevates this film. And it really just from beginning to end, again, a nice tight, I don't think it's more than a hundred minutes. I don't remember the exact runtime, but I don't think it's more than like an hour and 40 minutes. And it's a film that is fun and creepy. And then gradually it's a little more scary as it goes. And the end, you're like, I don't know what's going on anymore, but I'm genuinely creeped out. I feel like Scare Me and um, Scare Package are kind of in a similar vein, right? That they, they kind of seem more like comedies, even though you would label them as horror. And um, I I enjoyed both of them thoroughly. They, they you know, I've watched both of these movies within the past year. And it's the awareness. It's that awareness of, oh, we know horror so well, we're, we're gonna point this out. We're gonna point out every little reference that we're making. We're gonna point out every cliche that we're aware of. And that's what I liked about this. It, I, I could relate to uh, you know Fred, the main character in this movie because he's 38, which I'm 38. And, and he's this guy that wishes he was a writer and he goes and rents a cabin. And like the movie was so ridiculously relatable especially if you're A, into horror and B, like some kind of creative where you're making YouTube videos or writing. And so that's why I really liked Scare Me and Scare Me was actually very high on my list. Uh, we could actually kind of go in a totally different direction right now and talk about Possessor, which is for us, it's number nine on our list. Possessor was written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg and uh, it stars Adrian Riceborough, right? Now, are you guys familiar with her? I know she was in Mandy and- uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm familiar with her from Mandy. Uh, and she's actually, while she's the title character, she's really not in that movie very much, but she definitely leaves a lasting uh, impact. We also know her from uh, Black Mirror, where there's just one episode she's in called Crocodile Tears. In that episode, spoilers for that episode, sorry, Black Mirror, but she is quite cold and, and evil in that episode eventually. And I felt like there's a lot of similarities between Possessor and that particular episode of Black Mirror. And even like going into people's minds and seeing their thoughts, that's in that episode of Black Mirror as well. The, the difference is, is that this movie is so 
disturbing. The, the imagery in this movie is very disturbing. And of course, like Brandon Cronenberg, you know, his father is notorious for having disturbing imagery in his films. But there, there's things like where there, you, you close up on knives going into organs. So there's needles going into heads, right? It just the close up, the focus on things, it, it's so jarring. And I'm, I'm not going to summarize the movie just because if you haven't seen the movie, I think you guys should go see it. But the aspect that I like so much about Possessor is the idea of a person trying to take over another person's body and then the person fighting back eventually. And, and the idea of like their, their consciousness is merging together. And where does one person end and where does the other person begin? That To me, that was like the bread and butter of the movie. And that's why I had it on my top 10. I, I thought it was, I, the way I described it in my 30 second review on Stardust was it was a brain melting movie. Um, it does remind me, like the apple just doesn't fall far from the tree in the Cronenberg uh, Orchard. Um, Christopher Abbott, I just want to mention him real fast. He, in 2020, actually, no, that's not true because I saw Black Bear like two days ago and it's 2021. I've seen three movies with him. I did not watch Girls. I learned that he was in Girls because I watched yours and Sherry's review of uh, Black Bear on your channel. Um, but Black Bear, this movie, uh, Possessor, and he's in his, uh, another really creepy, weird horror movie called Piercing. Uh, and he, he takes chances as an actor. I, I'm just floored by him. Like I, I've seen three movies with him this year and I am convinced that I'm a fan of his and I will seek out any projects that he does in the future. He just, he commits to these weird movies and he is willing to do almost anything on screen. And I, uh, I'm just really into him as an actor right now. And he, and Andrew Riceboro's great, uh, but Christopher Abbott, man, good stuff. And, and as I said in my Stardust review about Possessor, it doesn't matter which version you watch, Possessor or Possessor Uncut, the only difference are two dicks and an eyeball. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> what you will no seriously though possessor is andrew rice for that the first time i ever my first exposure to her was that black mirror episode and i mean it's hard when you've never seen someone before and then you see them in this absolutely haunting chilling role it's hard not to constantly go back to that so seeing her in mandy is one thing but then seeing her in this i'm like yeah that 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 works out to be about right <laughs> yeah yeah like how many of these are going to be kind of fun joking kind of horror movies and how many of them are serious and is there something in the middle too so uh with that being said i have not seen impedigore and i'm guessing just from what i've seen from the imagery though uh chris that impedigore is probably another downer am i right oh impedigore is something else uh, i will say right now if you have this is uh joko direct writer and director joko anwar uh the film he made before this is Satan's Slaves, dumbest title ever. Absolutely not the movie you'd expect from the title when you finally sit down and watch that. And I really do feel like Impedigore is on par with that. Basically, uh, a woman survives, a toll booth worker, this woman, she survives an attack at, at, her, at the toll plaza one night. And then about a year or two later, finds out through her, uh, through, through the attack, 
that she has a family inheritance. She has some land that may be hers, and she basically takes her friend along and goes and investigates it. And it turns out this land, this house exists in a village, and everyone in the village believes that there's a curse on the village. And just absolutely batshit bonkers stuff ensues from there. I had this film, I, I hate to say it now, it sounds bad, but when I tell you I saw 52 horror slash genre films this year, and Impedigore made it into my honorable mention. No, yeah, my honorable mentions. That is not a bad thing. But it also speaks volumes through how I do my list. And I think Impedigore is a is better than a lot of films. Is a, is a better film than a lot of films that I have on my list. But it's not something I'm going to watch again. It's an incredibly well-made film. The first 10 minutes are so tense and so striking. And then the rest of the film just gets disturbing and grisly. Very different tones between the first 10 minutes and the rest of the film. But absolutely worth checking out. Just really good performances. Just stuff that makes you, every five minutes, there's something that makes you wince in this film. I actually had Impedigore um, at number four on my list. Um, it, it's my favorite uh, foreign film, foreign horror film of the year. Um, and I, I love foreign horror, foreign films in general, but foreign horror movies a lot. And yeah, you you alluded to it. I, I the opening five to ten minutes of this movie was legitimately terrifying. Like some of the most intense stuff. Uh, great use of camera. Uh, I, I think I watched the movie once straight through. But then I went back and watched that opening scene about two or three more times because it's just, wow. It's just, it blew me away. Um, Joko Anwar, uh, yeah, you brought up Satan Slaves. I think that was like 2018. Uh, I think it's still on Shutter. And uh, go see that. And Indonesia is like, between Indonesia, South Korea, uh, there's so many great horror films coming out of uh, Asia. Our next movie is the one movie on the list that I mentioned before where the writer and the director are not the same person. So our next movie is Underwater. And uh, Danny, I think you have something to say about the writer of this movie, right? So yeah, I'm totally uh, cheating and violating the rules here. Um, I uh, Underwater, which I, I loved, and it's one of the only two movies on this list that I got to see in the movie theater. <laughs> so I especially love it for that. Um, but uh, I'm using Underwater as a tribute to my MVP of 2020, uh, and that's Brian Duffield. Uh, Brian Duffield, uh, for those of you who have Netflix, he wrote The Babysitter uh, with Samara Weaving, which was super fun. Uh, but he co-wrote and wrote the story for Underwater. Um, so I'll start by talking about Underwater. My all-time favorite film, horror movie or not, is Jaws. I love aquatic horror movies. It, I owned uh, Leviathan <laughs> and Deep, Blue, uh, Deep Star 6 on, uh, on VHS. If, if you put a monster in the water, you have me. I am a fan of your movie. 
Uh, Underwater just happens to be an actual good aquatic horror movie. Uh, it stars Kristen Stewart, Vincent Cassell, um, and T.J. Miller. Uh, in <laughs> And as almost every underwater horror movie starts, there's a drill crew at the bottom of the ocean, and they accidentally cause an earthquake, and a monster comes up from there. And what's freaking great about underwater is I know Pete, you you um, uh, from doing reviews with you, you're you're not a big exposition person. This movie doesn't even have an introduction. Like the movie starts, Kristen Stewart wakes up. And then the earthquake happens and you're in the shit immediately. This movie does not give you a chance to breathe. It just throws you right into the action. And you are now with these characters dealing with this situation. Um, and then the monster, really cool stuff. Um, there's, you know, spoilers that I won't get into that uh, a lot of people, when they see this movie, when they see the ending, they go, holy shit. I actually got to see Underwater in the theater too. Um, for the Alamo Draft House, they actually had a free screening of it. And I took my friend Jay to go see it. And I was like, oh, you know, this movie's going to be probably, it's going to be bad. It's got Kristen Stewart. And yeah, yeah. So, so we're like, oh, let's go see this movie, but it's probably going to suck. But, you know, we'll make fun of it. And then we're just watching it and it's just so tight. You're absolutely right, Danny. There's, there's like no exposition. There's no explanation for what's going on. And it's just so tight from scene to scene. And there isn't any kind of like meandering anywhere. There, there's maybe one or two jokes that fall flat, but otherwise it's just like we have to go from A to B. And the the creature design in it and the the, the actual like world design too are like top notch. And um, I, I just, I, I think Kristen Stewart's great in it. I thought TJ Miller was great in it. I thought that the ways that certain people died were pretty disturbing. Um, but in particular, that ending where, where you're like, oh shit, like you said, I had that exact reaction too. I was like, I'm seeing that on screen. I've not seen that on the big screen yet. So I'm happy with this. Underwater was, uh, like Danny said too, one of two movies on, the, on this list that I actually got to see in the theater this year. It's such a weird and sad thing to think about. But yeah. I don't think it's a far cry to say this movie exceeded everyone's expectations. I can nitpick little things, but it doesn't even compare to how bad I expected it to be and how happy how pleasantly surprised and impressed I was walking out. I'm not a Kristen Stewart fan. This definitely, I'm not, I'm not going to say this made me one, but man, if it did not put her in my good graces, I really enjoyed her in this. And like you said, she's brushing her teeth for two or three minutes at the beginning of this movie. Then boom, just walls are blowing out. It is absolutely wild. Alien, Leviathan, the Abyss. This is just a nice, like, you know, just a nice mashup of all those films. I, I want to just mention, because I, like I said, Brian Duffield is my MVP of 2020. Um, Underwater was in, was actually uh, an honorable mention, like borderline top 10 for me. Um, uh, he also co-wrote a movie called Love and Monsters, which uh, is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi action romance starring Dylan O'Brien and Jessica Henwick. Um, basically, the world gets overrun by monsters. Um, humans are living underground in like small groups. And a guy got separated from his girlfriend right before 
the monsters took over and he goes out uh, to find her. And what I love about Brian Duffield is he writes just these incredibly interesting characters. Like he, and, and if you've seen The Babysitter, you know, it, they're characters that you want to root for, which is very rare in uh, a lot of movies. You know, you, you know, uh, Pete, you mentioned a lot of these movies like Possessor, it's going to get you down after you watch it. Brian Duffield movies are going to make you feel kind of good after you watch them. Um, and then my favorite Brian Duffield movie, which was actually in my top five, is a movie called Spontaneous. Um, this is the movie that he wrote and directed because uh, he's usually a writer. This was his like uh, directorial feature debut. Uh, it stars Catherine Langford, who was also in Knives Out, which awesome. And basically she's a teenage girl in high school. Everything's normal. She's sitting in class and the girl in front of her spontaneously explodes. And that's the plot of the movie. This school, students just start spontaneously exploding. And I didn't think that that plot summary uh, could make me over the course of a hundred minutes hysterically laugh and cry my eyes out several times. And all the while being scary in a way because you're starting to think about how you would react if you were in this kind of situation. Um, so between Underwater, Spontaneous, and Love and Monsters, Brian Duffield, my MVP of 2020. That brings <laughs> us to our next movie, which is number six on our list, The Dark and the Wicked, which, Chris, uh, you want to tee up this next downer of a movie? Oh, boy, do I. Yeah, so <laughs> the, Dark, the Dark and the Wicked is written and directed by Brian Bertino, and it stars Michael Abbott Jr. and Marin Ireland. They are two siblings who come back to their family's farm. Their father is on their deathbed. Their mother is acting very strange, and it's very obvious that there is an evil presence in the house, on the land, just heavily invading. And I got to say, I'm... I like Brian Bertino's work. He's an incredibly talented filmmaker. But when you think Brian Bertino, you think The Strangers. And while The Strangers is an excellent film, it's one of those films I'll never watch again because it makes me feel like shit. Because it's something that can really happen. It's I've watched it maybe twice and I'm like, yeah, I'm good forever now. I'm fine. This is incredibly well made, but I never need to see it again. The Dark and the Wicked, while dour as hell, and you do not feel good after it's over, Bertino has got it in the bag when it comes to supernatural and demonic, just evil forces, evil presence. It's, it's a bone I didn't know that he had in his body of work. It, it, I was just really impressed with The Dark and the Wicked. And it wound up very high on my list. I'm trying to remember on my personal list, Dark and the Wicked wound up at number six. Yeah. And that, that's not a that's not a film going into it, knowing the filmmaker. I'm like, hey, it, you know, again, it may just be a great film that I'll never watch again, but I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, I like to bring up double features. If you're looking for a great double feature with this film, uh, last year's, I think it was, yeah, it was 2019. Uh, well, now two years ago, I guess. Emma Tammy's The Wind would make a terrific double feature with this film. Uh, I actually had this also at number six. 
uh, on my list. Um, there are two moments in this movie that will stay with me forever. Um, <laughs> there's There are two scenes that are legitimately, like I'm thinking about them now and I'm just like, um, Mike Flanagan would love this movie because there's insane damage done to hands. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as a Flanagan channel, uh, gotta bring that up. But yeah, uh, I, the one thing I'll say that Chris alluded to, I, I have no plans to ever watch this movie again. I don't want I don't want to watch those scenes anymore, and I don't want to uh, be reminded of them. And, and in a way, that makes it a great horror movie because it 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 was horrifying to me. There 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 are scenes that legitimately horrified me in this movie. So yeah, that's, that's really the filmmaker he is. He's an excellent <laughs> filmmaker, and you're like this guy is more than competent. He's phenomenal. And I never want to watch this again because I feel like absolute shit. <laughs> the first movie, the first movie I ever took my wife on a date to in 2008 was The Strangers. And she married me. <laughs> <laughs> what was she thinking? <laughs> the um for the dark and the wicked, I, I think that if I had seen this in the theater. I think I would have been very, very scared in the theater watching this movie. Like The Strangers, The Strangers is an experience, right? That's what I think about this movie and The Strangers. You know, we were talking about exposition before. There's like no real exposition in either of those movies. Just bad things are happening to innocent people. That's it. And um, like when you're watching a movie, you're kind of saying, well, well, why am I watching this? Why am I watching this horrible stuff happening to these people? And kind of a spoiler, there really isn't an explanation for why this horrible stuff happened to this family. And it's not just this family. There's, there's, there's a woman that goes and helps the family, like a caretaker, a hospice kind of worker, and, and then a friend of the family. And each person just has this horrible fate, spoiler alert, you know? You sometimes wonder, well, am I watching this because am, am, am I getting enjoyment out of seeing this? It's it's not that. It's it's like, I, I think that when people make horror movies like this, it, it's to make you feel like like this is the darkest thing you can see, and so you can feel better about your life. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like a catharsis. Bertino just it has this great eye for visuals and, and the strangers and this. And it makes me want to watch the sequel to the strangers, which I haven't seen. So it's it's the sequel to the strangers is I mean, if you're looking for a strangers two, you're not gonna get it. Strangers Pray at Night is not it's not nearly as well made a film, but it's about 10 times more fun. Mm. And I Strangers think I, I probably watch it about three times just because it's just it's just fun. You've seen it before. You've seen the setup before, but it's just a fun film. And it's a, it's visually it's a cool looking film. Mm. Hold on, Chris. I said I, I smell a segue coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, visually interesting movies, I think probably the most interesting movie uh, visually is the Mortuary Collection. Now, that might be up for contention. You guys might disagree. You might think something else on this list could fit this. But to me, when I think of the Mortuary Collection, 
watching it online, watching it on Shutter, reminded me of watching um, Lem- not Lemony Snicket, um, a series of unfortunate events with my child. Yeah. Right. It, it like it had that feel of the Netflix series of unfortunate events. It was this very stylized, very like pretty looking horror movie, but then also super graphic and gross. I love how it was both. It's like this like clean, you know, sort of maybe 1950s retro looking movie. And then just this disturbing graphic horror movie. And I loved it. Um, my, my first movie that I watched in 2021 was The Mortuary Collection. And then my second movie that I watched in 2021 was uh, A Promising, Promising Young Woman. And both those movies have Clancy Brown. Now, I'm a huge Clancy Brown fan. His birthday was this week, so happy birthday, Clancy. His voice is fantastic. I I love him in Highlander. He's just a fantastic villain in Highlander. Uh, He's Lex Luthor on the Superman cartoon series. He's, you know, uh, Mr. Krabs or whatever from SpongeBob. Pet Pet Cemetery 2? Come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and this... He'll always always be... um... He'll always be the guy who gave Andy Dufresne a beer on the roof in uh, in Shawshank Redemption to me. But I love Clancy Brown also. He's great. Yeah, me too. I love him. Yeah, so for the Mortuary Collection, um, you know, it's an anthology movie. And I would say that there are better quality, like among the stories, some are very good. Some are a little weak. Right. But the overall package, I think, is great. And the thing is, the, the stories get better as the movie goes on. The, the first story, I felt yeah. like that was it and it was done. I was like, OK, that's what this movie's going to yeah. be like. Yeah. And then as it went along, especially this one uh, story that kind of tackles, uh, you know, um, <laughs> like pregnancy or whatever, or underage pregnancy. I was like, OK, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I like the way this is going. And then finally, the, the finale which was just had this great twist to it. When the twist happened, I was like, oh, I'm, I really like this movie. This is going on my list. So yeah. um, just overall, just the look of it, the performances, you know, by Clancy Brown and, and the people in the, the skits. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, the Mortuary Collection. And I think I would definitely watch it again. From the moment this started, first of all, this, the, the opening, the, all the exteriors were filmed in Astoria, Oregon. And I've been in Astoria, Oregon, and I realized I was there because the first time I was driving around there, I'm like, this looks familiar. It looks like where the Goonies was shot. And I, sure enough, that's where the Goonies was shot. So all the exterior is a kid riding his bike, and I'm like, it's, this is Astoria, Oregon. Also, initially, just all those exteriors, I got such a, a Frighteners vibe. So going in, I had this Goonies Frighteners vibe, which was awesome. And then the minute this movie just starts unfolding, you have this fantastic horror wraparound anthology ringleader in Montgomery Dark, Clancy Brown's character. It's just, it's, it's, she's such a, like, you look at him and you're like, this is exactly what I'm craving. And then the entire thing, director Ryan Spindell, you could tell he's a fan of the, the amicus horror anthology films like Tales from the Crypt and Bolt of Horror. You can tell he's a fan of Creepshow. You can tell he's a fan of the HBO Tales from the Crypt series. It's all up there on screen. And you're right, Pete, these stories do gradually get better. And then the way the final story ties in with the wraparound, it's just from beginning to end, this movie is so much fun. And it's exactly what I wanted. And it's exactly what I've been waiting for in a horror anthology film for years. We all really enjoyed Scare Package despite its flaws, which we were all aware of, 
We had a great time with Scare Package, but I think if you're a true horror anthology fan, this is the one that you've just been craving. I had this number seven uh, on my list. Uh, a, the I love horror anthologies. I grew up with Tales from the Crypt. Um, I just rewatched the 1972 Tales from the Crypt uh, around Christmas time because of you know Joan Collins. Uh, uh, this this I loved this movie from the opening credits. This movie has my favorite opening credits of 2020. Uh, the kid on his bike just going down through this like seaside uh, little village, this fisherman village. There's all this weird stuff in the periphery. There's a raven. There's this octopus in a bag. <laughs> There's the newspaper with the headline about it. I loved it. it felt, you know what that felt like? It felt like the beginning of uh, like a show, like, like a, a TV series. Yeah, like like a TV series, like this episode where like that's the and then like it would be like today's episode. Uh, uh, I, I liked that the stories were kind of different lengths. It wasn't like okay, we're gonna give you three twenty-seven minute stories with the wraparound to fill ninety minutes. I liked that that first story like was over before you even realized what was happening because like I grew up reading like Stephen King's Night Shift and Skeleton Crew. And yeah, every once in a while, you'd find a short story that was six pages. And then the next short story was 45 pages. You'd be like, oh, okay. And so like, I like that there were different lengths, but yeah, give me a good horror anthology. Give me a trick or treat, um, a scare package. Give me uh, a Christmas horror story, which if you haven't seen that, that's on Shutter also. Awesome Christmas anthology. But yeah, loved, absolutely loved Mortuary Collection. Awesome, awesome. So spoilers, uh, if you are all into seeing penises explode, then you'll be into this movie too. So just about as disturbing as a penis exploding though is the end of this next movie, right? Which this movie is pretty high on the list for uh, you know Danny over there. Uh, I just watched Hunter Hunter last night and I watched it with my wife. And um, everyone says the end of Hunter Hunter, the end of Hunter Hunter. Danny, is it just the end, or do you like this whole movie throughout? What do you have to say about it? So, I, uh, Hunter Hunter for me was about a four to four and a half star out of five movie up until the last 10 minutes. And then it became about a seven or an eight star movie. Um, I genuinely would put the ending up there. Uh, maybe it's recency bias. It probably is recency bias. I'm going to rewatch this movie a few more times um, when it goes to a streaming service. It's available on VOD, and I strongly recommend, of course, renting it. But if this goes to like Prime or Hulu, I'm going to watch the hell out of this movie. Uh, and I'm probably going to, you know, uh, the ending for me is is an all timer. It really is. Uh, I I know I had this movie higher on my list than you guys did. This was my number two, um, and it might it it was nearing number one territory for me. I I loved so much of this movie before the ending, and then the ending was just the icing on the cake. Um, it's and it's one of those endings where I I, I and I I don't know if it is for you guys. 
me anyway, it's one of those endings where somebody was like, I, because the, the only way I even heard about this movie was on Twitter. Some people who, uh, you know, in the, in the horror Twitter community who I trust when they recommend movies, I saw like five tweets go up in one night that were like, holy shit, Hunter, Hunter, you need to go watch this movie. Don't watch any trailers. Holy shit, that ending. And of course, in my head, I'm going, well, now it's not going to live up to the hype. And going in with that feeling, it blew me the fuck away. So I, I feel like if I'm overselling the ending, you're probably like a viewer might go into it thinking, oh, there's no way this ending can live up to any hype. But I think it might. Um, the movie is about a family uh, of like survivalists. They're, they live off the grid. Um, there's a husband played by Devin Sawa uh, who kicks ass now. Uh, there's his <laughs> wife played by Camille Sullivan who, holy shit, uh, she, love her. Um, and uh, it's written and directed by Sean Linden, again, writer, director. And basically this movie doesn't, you know, to go back to Chris's video that he made, there's so much of this movie that doesn't feel like a horror movie. Um, there's creepy, there, there's elements of uh, man versus nature style horror movies like a Jaws because at first you think that this family is being stalked by a wolf. Um, then there's parts of this movie where watching it, I started to think, is this a werewolf movie? I, I, I actually started to like convince myself that there was more to this because again, I'm thinking this is a horror movie. There's gotta be some horror aspects to this because it's really just about the this like survivalist family and what they're dealing with. And then it, there's a, a switch that gets, uh, that gets flipped where uh, basically there's this wolf and the, they, they have to kill the wolf because they live off the land and the wolf is eating all of their food. And the, uh, the dad, Devin Sawa, goes out to kill the wolf and he stumbles across some bodies in the woods. And now all of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, a wolf didn't murder people and set them up in the woods like that. So something's going on. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil the, the ending, but there's a switch that flips and it goes into another gear. Uh, <laughs> so, so the reason why I sound like a broken record where I say that I don't like exposition in movies is because movies like comic books, you're, it's a visual medium. Like you're telling this in this medium because you're gonna use visuals to tell your story. When you have someone explaining like, oh, there's a, uh, there's a killer in the woods and they're gonna come at us on Tuesday and that's why we have to do that. Fuck that. Like you have actors that can show a range of emotions on their faces. And you know, you said that you love, um, what do you call it? Uh, Camille Sullivan, right? That's the, the mm -hmm. mom. Like she's phenomenal in this movie. And like Sherry just wants to see other movies with her in it because she just like the movie is just so much based on her reactions and her emotions. Right. And Devin Sawa, you know, going back to like Final Destination or something like that, or like Casper, you know, we think of him in one way, but in this, he's like this grizzled guy 
that you know you'd feel safe with if he was on your team and you had to, you had to take into the woods uh you might be a little creeped out by him if you were in a bar and you saw him sitting there uh but he's just this kind of grizzled guy and he says so little it's all in his facial expressions and and, and you know just the little things that he says and i i love that there's there's very little dialogue in this movie um and you don't know what's going on and you're sitting there like okay what is this why are we watching this why is this horror like you said danny and um, with the ending, it, it is super upsetting, but you know what? It, like there's, there's the part of the ending that is upsetting to watch, but then there's also an implied thing about the ending too. And the implied it, part is just as devastating as the thing that you see is as upsetting, right? It, so It's one of those movies, it's one of those movies that literally my face hurt at the end of the movie because for the last probably 10 minutes, I just was doing this. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend, Denise, and I sit on the couch one night. I'm, she's like, let's watch something. I'm like, well, there's this, 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 and there's Hunter Hunter. She's like, who's in Hunter Hunter? I'm like, Devin Sawa and Nick Stahl. She's like, oh, we're, we're watching that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> because, because the Tiger Beat magazine in her brain was like, oh, no, I have to, we have to watch this. So oh. we watched I'm I'm happy to say that the hype did not get the best of me because I still recognized how absolutely solid of a film this is for the entire runtime up until the last five minutes. It is a, it is a solid film. I don't know if it's a film I never watch again. Yeah. But I'm also a Devin Sawa fan. I'm a big Nick Stahl fan. It's great to see him back and not in complete fucking garbage like the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, shit like that that he was in. So it was great to see him once again living off the grid like John Connor. It was great to see him in this. And they both get every every performance in this was terrific. And again, the movie, it's a fine film. It, it's very good. But that ending, holy shit. I mean, when you're just like gripping the couch, you're like, what is happening? You're just like, you're not. And it's a phenomenal ending. This film did not make my list. It it did not make my honorable mentions, and that's okay. It's still a very good film. This ending, <laughs> this ending would be in my top five. If just if just the top five was going on the if the if the if I was doing a, a top ten endings, this would be like it would be number one. How can it not be number one this year? Phenomenal ending. Well, you know what, uh, Danny, you mentioned before that you know did the wolf kill these people or maybe the wolf didn't kill these people and set up their bodies in the woods. And that kind of reminds me of number three on our list, the wolf of snow hollow and uh, wolf of snow hollow. It was my number one movie for this year. The reason why is probably because of Jim Cummings who plays the main character of the movie, you know, uh, officer John Marshall. It's a character piece about this officer and Jim Cummings just has his, incredible performance and it's so unlike things that i've seen in other horror movies and it's unlike performances i've seen in just other movies in general like on the anchor Pete channel sherry and i did a review of this movie and we did a review because we just love the movie so much we're like oh we have to talk about this and the, the reason why I'm, I'm talking about his performance and, and the, the reason why we love the movie is because it's it's so bizarre it's like it's kind of a comedy but then it's a drama too. And then it's this like kind of scary 
serial killer werewolf movie, you know, where it's like, is it a serial killer? Is it a werewolf? We don't know. The, the, the performance, it's like Jim Cummings, he, he, it's like he's serious and, and you feel for him. He's this recovering alcoholic, but then it almost goes over the top and it's like a, a, a satire or not a satire, but like a spoof. You know, it's almost like this, it, it reminded me of, you know, Scare Package or um, Scare Me, where it's just like so over the top with the characters, right? But it ends up having this emotional core to it that I just thought was great. That, you know, Chris, you talked about like werewolf movies being snoozers when we first started this channel. And I think that like this movie kind of is an exception to that. Oh, this is absolutely a home run. If we're going to put this in the werewolf genre, which is a is a vast genre to a degree, it's a vast subgenre. Uh, this is absolutely a winner. I Jim Cummings, I was so impressed. I did not know this man from a hole in the wall. What a phenomenal job acting, writing, directing. Just and the thing about I love about this, it feels like a Coen Brothers movie at times too. Like at one point, it's like he is so enraged by the fact that all of the, all the officers under him are like, no, oh, it's a werewolf. Like everyone is convinced without a shadow of a doubt. He is just living completely grounded in reality. Everyone's like, <laughs> werewolf, werewolf. Okay. <laughs> and like, he's like, come here. I want to talk to you. He takes a guy into the, into the, into like the sticks and just starts beating the shit. I'm like, right there, it felt like such a Coen Brothers film and, and, a, and a fantastic phenomenal uh a fantastic final performance from robert forster who just seeing him in this made me miss him even more but uh this movie just kind of came out of nowhere for me i had heard not heard mixed things about it but just didn't hear a lot about it and said i'm like well this is on the list i, I gotta check it out before the year's through and uh wound up being number three on my list but could have easily been number one easily i absolutely loved it this is going to be the movie of all the movies in the top 10 that i rewatched the most for the rest of my life right yeah. uh and because of that it's probably my favorite of my top 10 even though i put it at number three uh just because i i it's one of those movies where i rented it i paid my 5.99 watched it on amazon vod and then the next morning, before the, the, the time ran out, I, I watched it a second time. Uh, you laugh your ass off, but you're not sure you should be laughing. Um, and, and it's really, like you brought up, Pete, it's really, it's a total deconstruction of this man. The movie is about, like, the, all the wolf stuff and, and the werewolf stuff is superfluous to this one man melting down. So we're down to our top two. And it's it's kind of interesting because for our, our second to last movie, it's a Bloomhouse movie. And you think we're talking horror, we're talking best horror, and this is the only Bloomhouse entry on our list. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing to point out. Um, we have The Invisible Man. Now, Danny, you had this as your number one. So did. why did you pick this as your number one pick? So. I think, you know, we just talked about talking about double features, The Wolf of Snow Hollow and Hunter Hunter. That would be a great double feature. <laughs> um, those two were probably my two favorite horror films of the year. And I put The Invisible Man number one because I love the movie theater. It is my church. 
And this was the last horror movie that I got to see in the movie theater. And it was the last horror movie theater experience. And because of 2020, I remember this movie so well. Uh, I actually saw it twice in the theater. And I loved it. It's a genuinely great movie uh, with some really scary scenes. And there's one scene in particular that if you haven't seen this movie, it came out in February. So seriously, get on it already. Um, <laughs> all I'll say is there is a scene in a restaurant. I won't spoil it, but there's a scene in a restaurant where something happens. And it was the last time in 2020 that I got to hear the theater gasp. Of, yes. <gasps> and uh, like just thinking about that moment now gives me chills. Um, this movie was written and directed by Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell did Upgrade last year. No, 20, 2019, I, um, which was freaking great. Uh, uh, action sci-fi horror movie uh, that completely like had some of the greatest non-John Wick action scenes you'll ever see. And he just, he is making a name for himself as one of the great modern visionaries. Uh, his next couple projects are uh, Wolfman and he's temporarily slated to do an Escape from New York movie, which even though I'm a John Carpenter super fan and I would usually be like, don't touch John Carpenter movies. After seeing this and after seeing Upgrade, fuck it, Lee Winnell, remake Escape from New York, go ahead. When people reimagine classic films, you got to do something unique. You got to do something different that sets it apart uh, from the original. Uh, like the great Psycho remake, making it in color. No, I'm kidding. Um, but what this movie does is it, it kind of eliminates the traditional horror and it replaces it with modern technology. Um, and and the, the, uh, the invisible man in this movie um, played by our favorite Mike Flanagan drug addict uh, and <laughs> asshole, uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen. He's a tech millionaire. Uh, he works with optics and he, you know, he, he, he ends up dead and his wife, he was basically holding his wife uh, against her will, like, like almost like a, a, a wild animal or a caged animal. She escapes in this really tense scene at the beginning of the movie and he ends up killing himself, committing suicide. She gets all of his money and then she starts getting stalked by the Invisible Man. So this movie doesn't take the traditional mad scientist horror movie approach that um, the, the classic uh, uh, Claude Rains movie did in the 30s or even the Kevin Bacon Hollow Man did. This is a movie about paranoia. This is a movie about a, a woman descending into madness. Uh, and it's a movie about technology and, and it succeeds at doing all of these things. It's got some legitimately creepy moments. And Lee Winnell is so good uh, as a director that he makes you scared literally by just pointing the camera. And you have to now envision that something's there. Like <clears throat> the movie's called The Invisible Man. So in your head, you're going, oh, fuck. Like he's right there, but you can't see anything. So it's, it really is a just, it's a, it's messing with your head as you're watching it. I, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, 
And I genuinely think that it features what should be, it won't, spoiler alert, but it should be an Oscar-worthy performance from Elizabeth Moss, who is just fantastic in this movie. You know, it's kind of, this is kind of a testament to 2020, right? Because this is actually the last movie I saw in the theater before theaters closed down. I, I literally saw The Invisible Man in the theater the day before the movie shut down. It shut down the next day, the Alamo Draft House shut down. And uh, I have to say for that moment in the restaurant, like you said, there also were gasps. That moment in the restaurant, spoilers guys, when that werewolf comes up and skins that woman in the restaurant, in Cobra everyone Cali. gasped, it was crazy, you know? But um, no, I, th this movie, it's inter interesting too, because it is sort of a, a sign of its times too. You know, we don't try to get too political on the show, but they mentioned the word gaslighting a lot in this uh, reviews for this movie. And I think it's really important because the idea of gaslighting at least is that you're, you're essentially making someone have like crazed reactions because you are knowing which buttons to push. And that's essentially what this movie is. They're using the invisible man concept, you know, from the HG Wells story and using that to, you know, showcase this kind of story. This is, uh, I know you guys have brought it up, but I think you may have both, uh, Pete, I know you have, I think Danny might have as well. I think you've both been in theaters uh, at some point. This is literally still the last movie I saw in the theater. I have not been inside of a movie theater. It actually, it, 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 uh, it's, I don't sound dramatic, but it hurts a little to even say oh. it. I have not been in a movie theater uh, since February, which is terrible. And it's also why, this movie is in my top 10, my personal top 10. I put it at number nine, but it, it's, and I take nothing away from it, but it's just one of those movies that came out earlier in the year, in the year that I, at a time that feels like I'm so far removed from, had I rewatched this, and I did rewatch it, Denise and I rewatched it um, uh, when it first got released on, on PVOD, which I think was sometime in March or April. Um, but had I watched it more recently, it may have climbed a little higher, but it just, you know, it was in the back of my mind because I saw it so, so earlier in the year, uh, but phenomenal performance from Elizabeth Moss. She's just everything she's in just knocks out of the park. And, and again, like Danny said, if you're going to do this, if you're going to tackle the universal monsters, which by the way, I have to say they announced today, I'm a huge universal monsters fan. Universal is going to start putting them all up on YouTube for free. All nice. the classic monster films. That's so awesome. the young ones to them, you have to. They're 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 phenomenal. All right, so guys, here we are. We are up to the number one movie of the year, and it's interesting because I think that this movie is very different from the rest of the movies on this list. We talked about movies that are just fun, and they are very aware of horror tropes. We talked about like very serious, stark movies and movies that just make you feel kind of bad watching them and you don't want to go back to them. And then you have this movie, number one. And so Chris, do you want to tell everybody what our number one pick was this year? Our number one film is His House, which is on Netflix. This is a debut feature film from Remy Weeks, who also wrote the screenplay from a story by Toby Venables and Felicity Evans. It stars Soap Dirisu, Wunmi Mosaku, who was terrific in Lovecraft Country, his first season of Lovecraft Country, fantastic. And of course, the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith, has a, uh, has a pretty decent size role in this. 
And basically, a husband and wife escape uh, war-torn South Sudan, and they are granted asylum uh, by the British to uh, a housing community for people in their position. And uh, they're dealing, they're, they're grappling with uh, having lost a child, uh, you know, through their escape. And uh, they move into this home, and, and they're determined to make a new life for themselves. While uh, the wife uh, wants to hold on to their heritage, the husband is really hell-bent on a fresh start and adapting to this new culture they're now living in. And besides the demons and the ghosts that they brought with them, this house has something insanely terrifying and insanely evil inside of it. And what you wind up getting with this film is just this emotional and social drama, a, a, a well-thought-out, a well-executed drama with just mammoth, crowd-pleasing scares. There are scares in this film that I talk about, if I could pick one movie this year, I would have loved to have seen in the theater. I don't know how a general audience would have reacted to the, the main story thread, uh, story thread running through, but the fucking scares in this are off the charts. Thank God for the horror community. Thank God, because Netflix did absolutely nothing to get behind this film, to bump this film. Thank God it spread through Twitter and the horror community and just Instagram. I saw this everywhere because this is a phenomenal film. Obviously, we all agreed it should be number one. And it, it, it grapples with a lot of things you're not used to seeing, like black-on-black uh, um, uh, -black racism, uh, class racism, which is something I think as Americans we're not used to seeing fantastic performances just this is my this was my personal number one this year because i was so impressed by the melding of such serious and dramatic emotional topics with these just crowd-pleasing monster incredibly effective scares knowing that it was going to be our number one i rewatched it this evening uh, and the same scenes that scared me when I first saw it a few months ago got me again. Uh, you will not stand near your light switch uh, after you see this movie. You'll, you'll be very careful not to flick your light switch on and off. There's also some just some of the greatest imagery I've ever seen in a movie. There's one particular scene mm -hmm. where the husband, who is the much more tormented of the two, uh, in terms of being tormented by the, 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 the supernatural aspects, he's sitting at the dinner table mm -hmm. and the camera just starts to pan mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And as the camera pans out, you realize that the dinner table is now in like a vision that he's having. Mm -hmm. it, it is one of the most, one of the most, striking images in a mm -hmm. movie I've seen this year. Mm -hmm. um, the supernatural aspects to this, the ghosts that are in this movie, there are some wonky CG to them, but it doesn't even bother me because they're legitimately freaking scary. As Chris said, uh, I teach history in my daily life. So to see a movie that um, ties in uh, actual historical, you know, current events, 
socio-political, uh, geopolitical aspects. You know, we, we started this list uh, by talking about 1BR and we said, you know, that's a movie that is completely real. It can actually happen, you know, and it's based on these real life cults that actually happen. Well, this is a movie that is based on something that's real and then it adds that supernatural aspect to it. And there are movies like that that I just love. I love when you, you're gripped with real life, like horror that exists in the real world and then you add an element of supernatural to it. Yeah. Uh, there's also some, if you're paying attention, there's at least one, uh, I think, uh, I love uh, reference to The Changeling, one of the greatest ghost stories of all time. I got some serious Candyman vibes from this movie, mm. uh, especially the fact that it's about uh, these two African people um, in in a you know black section of of England, and there's these tall kind of like rundown buildings, which took me right back to uh, Cabrini Green in uh, in Candyman. Uh, yeah, this is a this was in my top ten. Having watched it a second time, definitely moves up the list. So uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the name of our show is The Lasser Cast. And oh. the reason why it's called The Lasser Cast is because we're inspired by The Lasser Glass by, um, you know, Mike Flanagan. And the thing is, this movie is a Mike Flanagan movie. This movie <laughs> is a Mike Flanagan movie mixed with the best picture for foreign film. That's what this is. Yes. And yes. I don't want to take any kind of credit away from Remy Weeks that it's his movie, it's his vision and it's his beautiful vision. But the reason why I think it connected so much with the three of us is because we're such huge Mike Flanagan films. The reason why I even know about this movie is because Mike Flanagan tweeted about it and said how great it was. And true. The, the reason why he must have loved it and we love it is because it's that thing that you were just talking about, Danny, that we constantly talk about, which is like, his idea, it's a good movie by itself if you take the supernatural elements out, right? And this is a movie about a couple struggling from their history, from their, their culture that they escaped, and they're, they're trying to assimilate into this new culture. And you see, it, it's just this great vision of what it's like to live in this kind of situation, what it's like to be treated as an immigrant, to be treated as a refugee. And, uh, you know, it's... I, I almost wish I could see this movie without the supernatural elements because I think the parts about real life were just so well done. So yeah. I, I, I actually really love this movie. It's very high on my list as well. And um, I, I actually would like to see more movies like this, honestly. So I, you guys should know that in February, our plan is because of you know Black History Month that we want to use the movie Har Noir, which is a documentary that's on Shudder. Uh, it focuses on the history of black cinema. We want to use it as an inspiration. We're going to talk about that movie. And we're also going to talk about movies that are included in that documentary. And in yeah. February, we might do a more in-depth discussion on his house as well. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. Um, yeah, Har Noir is on Shudder. Uh, that, that was in my top 10 for 2019. Uh, it, yeah. I, one of the best horror documentaries I've seen in a, in a long time. Yeah. One of the best. One of the best ever. One of the best yeah. ever. It's terrific. Nice. So gentlemen, that is our list. Um, I would say this, that, you know, we have not been doing this a year, but for 2020, for me, the highlight of 2020 for me was being on this channel with you guys. I would Absolutely. not have seen 
pretty much almost every movie on this list if it wasn't for working with you guys. So thank you so much for going over this with me. Um, here's to 2021. Hopefully we'll have an even better list next year. But uh, if you guys like this list, you can tell us what you thought about it in the comments. But we'd also like to hear what you guys have picked as well, too. So give us your best picks for 2020. Yes. And so, tell uh, us which of these movies is not a horror movie. Yes, yes, yes yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chris will appreciate that. Yeah. Tell, All right. Tell me, tell me how much freaky should have been on our list. Please tell me. I love hearing it. Oh. <laughs> so until then, we'll see you guys later.